Good morning. Welcome to this Thursday. Rogue Grace. Here in the beautiful metropolitan Applegate, Oregon. The first person to print the English Bible named Miles Coverdale. Isn't that a perfect name for that? I mean, I'm not joking. His name is a good one. Miles Coverdale was the first to print the English Bible. Not to translate it into English, but to print it. He correctly said, way back then, in the hundreds and hundreds of years ago time frame, he said, when you read the Bible, it is imperative to know in every passage to whom it was written, for whom it was written, in what words, where, and considering what goes before and after. In other words, what Paul the Apostle said, rightly dividing the word of truth. It means when you read your Bible as best as you can, me too, and Yes, it's very flawed, very limited, always will be, even to the day I die. But still I grow in the grace and knowledge of God, of Jesus. But when we're reading the Bible, to rightly divide the word means know who is talking and why, in other words, who they are talking to. or who he is talking to. If you simply read Isaiah or Zephaniah and apply it to your life without the filter or the understanding that Miles Coverdale spoke of, it's going to do you in as the law does and should and could But when you realize that, oh, that was written to them, why read it then? Because you get such beautiful context of God's will, his work, his grace, and his wisdom. There's no doubt about it. You know, I don't read the book of Leviticus and say, I need to apply this right now. In terms of, I better get the cow. I better make sure that it is ready for sacrifice. No, I don't. But I do read the book of Leviticus and am blessed. Right now I'm reading through the Bible. Like maybe you are, or maybe you do, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I'm reading through the Bible and I am in Leviticus. So I need to read it knowing, okay, like Miles Coverdale said when he first printed the English Bible, 
understand to whom it is written, for whom, in what words, where, and considering what goes before and after. And yes, we that's the challenge, isn't it? The beauty, the adventure, the difficulty, the beauty of reading the Bible is learning these things. And that's why it will take me the rest of my life to do so. And that's why I love teaching. I love being a preacher of the Bible.
Here's my challenge for you. Look and see in the Bible where you can find Jesus ever getting angry at sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Didn't he say to those kinds of people, I'm coming over to your house for dinner, tax collector? Didn't he have the kind of encounter where they washed his feet, the prostitutes? Wasn't he called by the Pharisees the friend of sinners? You will not find any record of Jesus ever being angry at prostitutes, sinners, and tax collectors. That's what I challenge you Do you agree with that? If you can find Jesus ever angry with one of those people I mentioned, give me a call. Bring it up to the audience. I want you to. I'm encouraging that. I'm inviting you. Maybe I would love to stand corrected if necessary when it comes to the Bible and the gospel. Can you find an instance, an example in the gospel where Jesus got angry at sinners or prostitutes? I'm not saying Jesus didn't get angry because he did. And at whom was he angry at? The religious people. Lord, have mercy on us. Those who lacked grace, who had a lack of grace. And I'm not saying that Jesus winks at our sin or he 
just passes over it. Nothing is passed over by God except for the blood of Jesus that allows the pass over. It's not as though God has gone soft on sin. I'm not even implying that. In fact, just the opposite. If God had gone soft on sin, he would not have had to send his son. But nothing wrong or sinful is imputed to me because Jesus took the judgment for us all. That's the kind of friend you have in Jesus today. That's what I want to tell you. That's the kind of friend that you have in Jesus. Don't ask yourself, am I accepted before God? Ask yourself, is Jesus accepted before God? Now, how does all that work? You know this, but Jesus on the cross became sin without sinning so that now we become righteous apart from our works of righteousness. God is brilliant. The gospel, the gospel, it's such a masterpiece. How could I have, how could you have ever conceived of such a thing? Even reading through the Old Testament, it would have been nearly impossible. But now that we have it, we see it is fulfilled. What is? That Jesus became sin without sinning, that we might become righteous without doing anything righteous. The devil wants you to look at yourself, you know, not, not just once. I mean, at any moment he wants you to, he likes it. He revels in you reviewing your behavior, focusing on your sin. Well, aren't we supposed to do that? No, I don't think so. Maybe you can disagree. Maybe even be correct. I might be wrong on this. I don't think I'm supposed to review my behavior. I'm simply supposed to view Christ's behavior. Worship him. Receive what he has done. But Pete, aren't we supposed to be doers of the word? Not just hearers only? Exactly. And that comes, look at in James 1 when he says, be doers of the word. He says, he speaks of in the same text, the law of liberty. So being a doer of the word comes from looking at the law of liberty. I want to read that to you real quick. Knowing that my behavior has nothing to do with my righteousness is what then allows me to be a doer of the word. It's this crazy, wonderful, beautiful reverse psychology of the gospel. And in James chapter 1, James, who I might say 
in my very um, basic understanding and my humble, and I mean that opinion, James is a, a tough guy. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. Yeah, Martin Luther wanted to take it out. <laughs> That's true. He wanted it to be trampled on the book of James. I'm not kidding, but it's there. And if you ever want a good teaching on James, I recommend John Corson, who is able to take James and or take the book of Romans and bring them back and forth. It's beautiful. But James says here in the New Testament, he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed in his doing, not just hearing, not just listening, but doing. Doing what? The perfect law. Uh-huh. There you go. The Ten Commandments, right? The law of Moses. No. The perfect law. And he says, the law of liberty. That's the perfect law. I'm just setting myself free right now. And I hope maybe somebody else enjoy the law of liberty right this moment. I just got texted. <laughs> My grams and pops just moved into town. They're, they moved in from Fresno area. Grams and pops. And my mom's running an errand for them, but I want her to hurry up and put their grandson on the air in their <laughs> in their apartment. Have you ever met my grams and pops? They're uh they're good people. My pops, he's one of the funniest guys that I've ever met, you, you'll ever meet, and he doesn't even try to be. That's the cool thing. Well, he does, actually. There were times when we would be eating at their house, and he'd excuse him for himself for a second and then come back with a big list of jokes. So he does try to be funny and pulls it off. Anyways, I'm glad they're home. They're about, I don't know, 94, 95 years old. <laughs> I don't, that is only about 50 something years older than I am. <laughs> and I'm getting old. And guess what? They walked with the Lord all of those years. <laughs> That's the legacy that I've been given over the years. I'm blessed, huh? Well, I don't mean to rub your nose in it. I'm just grateful for them. We'll be right back.
Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And give us today all that we need. And forgive our sins as we forgive each other. Yours is the kingdom. to suggest for you the order that so often if not every time we are tempted but but how we overcome temptation when I talk about temptation what is that for you even as I say that word maybe it's it's something that's not very drastic maybe it's not something specific maybe it is you know what that is then, don't you? 
is a temptation in an attitude to cop a certain attitude, temptation with a certain thought, temptation in a improper relationship or entertainment or business practice, you know, all kinds of things. So the order is, in my opinion, first there's the temptation, then there's confidence in the flesh. That is, I can handle it. But that always leads to sin. And then after that comes extreme resolution. I will never do that again. And the cycle begins anew. Temptation, confidence in your flesh, then you sin, then you make the extreme resolution. I'll never do that again. And it goes again and again because resolutions never work through the fact it presumes on your own, my own, man's, woman's strength. Here's how you overcome temptation. John chapter 8, a woman caught in the act of adultery, humiliated by her own action, could have been, should have been, in other instances, would have been put to death for such an offense. She says, no one condemns me, Lord. And he said, go your way and sin no more. How does she go her way and sin no more? How does she elude temptation? Now, I pointed out this a couple days ago that how does John write that story? If it's just conversation between her and Jesus. Some have suggested that the writing of that story is much more similar to Luke's writing and maybe made the transfer from the gospel of Luke to the gospel of John. I don't know. Others suggest that John had a conversation with Jesus but that doesn't seem to go in line with Jesus's conversation with her when she didn't condemn her. So I think perhaps maybe it was Luke who wrote that. And over the years or over time or one way or another, the spirit moved that text into John. Just a suggestion. But notice the order. This is what is not a suggestion. This is what is the gospel now. I don't condemn you. Now go your way and sin no more. Your love is like radiant diamonds bursting inside us we cannot contain Your love will surely come find us like blazing wildfire singing your name God of
gets a blessing from his dad. Did he deserve it? You know, Jacob and Esau, Jacob tricked his old man, his pop, into thinking that Jacob was Esau and gets the blessing. Could it be transferred or rescinded or taken back? No, he got it and it couldn't be taken back when he dressed up like his bro Esau put hair on his arms like Esau. His blind pot thought he was Esau. He receives the blessing and it cannot be taken from him. That word, in fact, blessed. When Isaac blesses Jacob in that pronouncement, it was used for Jacob. But when Isaac later spoke to Esau, who's weeping, ticked, saying, bless me also. He gives him some promises, but it never says he blessed him. The word is not used blessed. It does not say, um, as it did to Jacob, the dad, Isaac does not say, God will give you the dew and the fatness or literally the oil and the grain and the wine. 
He said it only to Jacob. Now, let's look at, I want to think about that for a moment. I want to think with you about, for a minute, the fat. No, not that P-H-A-T, fat. But I mean the good fat. The good fat and the oil and the grain and the dew that's spoken of there in the Genesis conversation that Jacob's dad gave to him. As you know that the oil or the fatness, same thing, the oil that is used is what we call olive oil, literally. And in that oil, it's found throughout the Old Testament. It's found throughout the writings of Moses and the laws of Israel, this oil. And in Deuteronomy, God says, through Moses, you will be blessed with grain, wine, and oil above all people. And so, later on, when they were old men, Esau and Jacob meet up again. Jacob thinks Esau wants to kill him. Esau says to him, I have enough. I'm good. Literally, the word that he uses there is tov. Boker tov is what they say today. Plenty. I got plenty. And Jacob replies, God has looked favorably on me. Literally, that word is grace. So Jacob and Esau are both blessed by God. The difference is Jacob received his by grace. And Esau never mentions God when he talks about what he has. And Jacob says, I have enough to his brother. I don't, I I can give you these things. I have enough. But that word is kind of a weak translation. The word literally is everything. I have everything. That's how gracious God has been to me. So in other words, can I put it this way? Esau, who did it in his own flesh, in his own energy, had plenty. I got to give credit to him. Hat off to Esau, the father of the Arab people, as it were. Hats off to him. He had plenty. But Jacob had everything. Because he didn't just have blessings that he earned or deserved. He knew he had blessings that he didn't earn and didn't deserve. Grace is a game changer. Old Jacob, even though he was a scoundrel like many of us, he understood this. See, good, good, good. I'm glad because see, when I feel like a scoundrel, I look at Jacob and I go, if he could tap into this grace, then so can I for me, for my family, because I'm not perfect, but I believe that Jesus Christ is. And Lord, pour out your blessing on me. Not because I'm so smart, not because I deserve it, but just because of your grace. Others have plenty. That's fine. Lord, I have everything. I have the oil, grain, and wine. As you say in your word, all things are yours. 
because of grace. Think about that. You have grain and wine and oil, the Bible says. It's a picture in the Old Testament. It's a reality here for us in the New Testament. What is that? Not just grain as in terms of cereal, frosted flakes, but look what grain was in the Bible. It's crushed, punched, pounded, then put into an oven to bake. And, and, and not only do you have grain, you have wine. I don't just mean from 1989. I'm not talking simply about a Cabernet or whatever. But look at the wine. Grapes that have been stomped on, trampled, danced upon. But you, know, you not only have grain and wine, you also have oil, literally fatness. Yeah. Some of us, before I got sick, I could say, I'm definitely blessed with this. Fatness, oil, literally the word is mishman, M-I-S-H-A-M-A-N. It's a noun that means olive oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look what you have, grain, wine, and oil, grain, wine, and oil. When you have this, your soul prospers. Grain, Jesus' body. Wine, Jesus' blood. Oil, the gift of Jesus, which is to us, the Holy Spirit. Wow, are we rich. This light is yours. 
welcome back. That was kind of an old school tune. I like it. I'm kind of an old school guy in some ways. And I like this show because, not because I do it, <laughs> but because it is centered on grace. Why do I like grace? Because it is favor that is unearned and undeserved. See, there's only two conditions for this favor. Just two. It has to be unearned and undeserved. You can't labor to earn favor. Or it's no longer favor. Right? When someone says, you did me a favor, you didn't earn that. Chances are, if you're working right now, if you're at your place of employment, when you get that paycheck on Friday or whenever, you're not going to say, oh, thanks. You did me a favor. You earned it. You know what I like about the word favor and the word grace in the New Testament? They're interchangeable. They both come under charis. That's the Greek word, charis. It's the middle name of my daughter, Sadie, and Bailey both have the names Grace and Karis. Bailey, Karis, and Sadie Grace. Why? Because by grace, you have brought me safe this far, and grace will bring me home. The one who's trying, straining to merit is not the one who will receive grace. You rest, you admire Jesus, and you receive his grace. It's so beautiful because then you're loved by God, not based on your behavior or your performance. Too often we live in a, a world, all of us, and it always has been since the Garden of Eden, where you are being judged by others and your relationships are based by others so often by what you earn and what you deserve. There's very few relationships by which you have an unearned and undeserved favor. They're to be treasured, aren't they, when you have those? Dads, moms, Grammy, and Papa. Those are my grandparents who have always loved me when I was on getting the, on the honor roll in fifth grade or when I was just about kicked out of McLaughlin Junior High School. They loved me the same. It's hard to find that, but I have that in them. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. And you might be thinking, good for you, Pete. You have a Grams 
and you have a pops that love you no matter what. And that, you know what? That is good for me (laughs) to have that, to have someone love me and it doesn't affect their love for me, whether I'm sky high and achieving and accomplishing the top of the world or when I've been down in the pits. Their, their love for me is not affected. That's hard to find. Very rare. And you may not have that. Your grandparents may not be around or you may never have had that. That's why I'm on the radio right now. That's why you're listening. Because God wants you to know that is how he sees you and loves you. Not based on your performance or your behavior or your religiosity. It's unearned. It's undeserved. If you've had grandparents like I do, that's a hint of the kind of God that we serve. Totally undeserved, unmerited, and not based on accomplishment. That's hard to find. Maybe you don't have it here on earth, but you do have it in heaven. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Rogue Grace. Come on out tonight. We have our prayer meeting in the upper room, that little building that you drive by when you drive into the church. We'll be there. Looking forward to it. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God of the law? They tried. They couldn't do it. Neither could we. I'm glad I serve a God of love. I need that. So do you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Check out my website too if you want. Put a new message on there a day or two ago. God bless. And I will talk to you later.